called extravagant love, which is all about God's outrageous love for us, for people, and how to live in love. This week, we are, uh, we're talking about God's unquenchable, unstoppable love for lost people, for us, for all of us in this room. And the title of it this morning is To the Moon and Back. Now, that may seem like a little strange title, but there's this book that I read to my son called Guess How Much I Love You. And it's, it's a book that many of you have probably, if you've got kids or been around little kids, that you've probably read to them. Uh, but it's about this little rabbit who is trying, basically, he's trying to outlove his dad. He's trying to demonstrate through raising his arms up, I love you this much, and I love you this much, and standing on his head, and I love you all the way to my toes, and you know, all of this kind of a thing. Well, his dad repeats exactly back to him what the little rabbit is saying. Except, of course, he's able to do it at a, at, because he's bigger. He's able to do it at a greater scale, right? And so the, this little rabbit is just this whole story trying to one-up his, uh, his dad. Until finally at the end, he's really tired. He's getting ready to go to sleep. And right before he lays down to go to sleep, he looks up at the night sky. He sees the moon and he says, Dad, I love you to the moon. And the dad goes, whoa. That's, that's far. That's a lot. And, and the dad puts his little son to bed, kisses him goodnight, and says, I love you to the moon and back. Well, not long after I started reading this book to Caleb, my son, I started repeating that to him. Sorry. And um, I would say, Caleb, Daddy loves you to the moon and back. And pretty soon... Whenever you'd ask him, Caleb, how much does daddy love you? He would say, moon, back. It was so cute. He still will do it to this day. And, you know, that's the kind of love that God has for us. It's this love that is unstoppable. It's unquenchable. We can't, we can't even completely grasp it. In Ephesians, Paul says that the love God has for us is something that's actually beyond even knowing and understanding. Now, the reason for me telling Caleb, son, I love you to the moon and back, isn't so that he will understand that the, moon is a pro- the distance from here to the moon and back is approximately 477,000 708 miles, round trip, okay? Approximation because the moon has an elliptical orbit around the earth, so sometimes it's a little further away, sometimes it's a little bit closer. Didn't know you'd get some science class this morning, did ya? Yeah. (laughs) Useless trivia information, unless, of course, you're in physics. Anyway, The point in me telling that to my son isn't so that he knows that fact. The point in me telling my son that is to begin to give him some kind of idea of how big my love is for him, of how unstoppable my love is for him, because he's going to need that. He's going to say things. He's going to do things. He's in life. He's going to be able. He's going to need to know that he can come to me. That he has the ability to come to me, and then I'm going to support him. I'm going to encourage him. That's the kind of love God has for us, to the moon and back. The sad truth, however, is that for many of us here, we've got no idea what that means. We don't know what it means for God's love to be that big for us, let alone what we're supposed to actually do with it. It's like getting a a pile of seemingly random parts and being told to 
make something of it, to put it together and have it be something useful and meaningful. We've got no relationship to this thing. We have no understanding of this thing. We've got no picture of it. So how are we supposed to do this? I, uh, I grew up in a small town, and there was a kid there who one time, he decided to play a practical joke on, on one of his little brothers. A uh, whole Three Stooges type of thing, you know, put the shaving cream on their face, tickle them, and they rub it all over them. Only he used toothpaste. And, yeah, and uh, he didn't think this through all the way, and almost as soon as he put this toothpaste on his little brother's face, it started to burn. And so the little brother, he's, you know, he's, he was a pretty deep sleeper, and, and he wakes up, and he's just kind of, well, what's going on? And, and he's just getting more and more emotional. And pretty soon, the, this, this kid, he, just, he realizes, this is not going to turn out good. Hey, let me help you. Let me clean this up. I'll take care of this. Don't go tell dad. Okay? Well, what does the little kid do, his little brother? He goes and he tells dad. At some middle of the night hour, this kid said that, it was like Vesuvius erupting in his home. His dad just came unhinged on him. He was afraid. He was very afraid. For many of you sitting here in, in, in this room right now, that is the kind of experience you had with your dad. And so what you've done is you've taken the experience you've had with your dad and you've you looked at God and you said, okay, this is the way God is going to be too. Not only that, but you've transferred the idea along with that, that if you don't do it right enough, you don't do it good enough, you don't do it the way God wants you to do it, then in his righteous anger and wrath, he's going to turn you into a pile of ash. And so coming here this morning is a hateful exercise because on the one hand, I can't make him happy but on the other hand, I don't know how to not try because if I don't try, then things are only going to get worse. Others of you are sitting here in this, this morning in that same kind of a position, except you've given up trying. You've said, screw it. I'm done. I'm not going to try to keep pleasing somebody I can never, ever please. For some of you, maybe you've been a Christ follower for a long time, but you've gotten so busy with life or maybe burned by religion and the people who peddle it and look down their noses that you've forgotten God's love. Maybe you aren't a Christ follower, but you've been brought here today by, by well-meaning family and friends who want to help you, who, who genuinely have good in mind and in store for you, but you just wish they would leave you alone because of, of choices that you've made or things that have been done to you by other people, you think you're beyond help. Maybe you're not a Christ follower and you think you've got it, you're good enough. Maybe for you, you're sitting here this morning and you think, I don't need God. I mean, I'm not perfect, but good grief, the, the, the good far outweighs the bad. And you just didn't know how to politely decline the invitation. And you're sitting here wishing everybody would just leave you alone. And you're wondering right now when you can get out those doors. The fact, though, is that whether or not you think you need God's love, He loves you anyway. The fact is that whether you think you're beyond God's love or not, 
God's love reaches far beyond wherever you are at. The fact is that whether you've been burned by religion and the people who peddle it, God's love is for you. And the fact is that regardless of how busy you've been with your life or whether you have or haven't forgotten God's love, God has not forgotten you. As a matter of fact, in the book of Isaiah, God says, even even if a mom would forget her infant child, I will not forget you. That's what God says. In John chapter 3, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him, everyone who ties themselves to him in life, will not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God's love is so big that there is absolutely nothing you can do to make him love you more. And for some of us here, and I'm included in this, I try to earn God's love myself from time to time. And this is for me as much as it is for anybody else. Stop trying. You can't earn it. He simply has it for you and wants to give it to you. But the flip side of that as well, for anybody here who's thinking that they've blown it too much, too big, too bad, God is so determined in his love that there is nothing you can do to make him love you less. That's the fact. And there's a passage in the New Testament in the Gospel of Luke, third book in the New Testament that talks about God's love for lost people, God's love for us. Leading up to this passage, Jesus has been doing some things that have been really against the culture, okay? He's been eating with and, and, and partying with a bunch of people that the New Testament calls sinners, Now, you need to understand that sinners in in Jesus' culture could include people who were like prostitutes, uh, tax collectors. Those were really bad people because they basically stole from their their family, friends, and neighbors, uh, gave some of it to the Romans, and kept the rest for themselves. So they were betraying their their own family and, and countrymen. But it wasn't just those big deal things that were considered or those kinds of people that were considered sinners. It was also the poor. It was the infirmed. So there's this wide range of people that are considered sinners. And Jesus is eating and drinking with them. He is having parties with them. He is sitting down at meals. Now, something you need to understand about the meals Jesus was eating with these people is, it, is that it wasn't like just our, our obligations that we do at, like, say, Thanksgiving, Right? where we go and we, we get together with family that we may or may not like, right? And we eat meals with them. And we do that year in and year out because of what? Tradition. We do that because this is what we do. This is how we act. This is who we are. But in Jesus' uh, culture and day, sitting down and eating a meal with somebody meant, hey, you know what? There's something right between us. We are friends, relationship is whole between us. And for Jesus to do this with these people, it meant God is for you. God loves you. God is reaching out to you. And so these religious clerics, 
They're asking Jesus, what are you doing? These people are outsiders. These are the kind of people that if you eat with, they're going to make you ceremonially unclean and unable to go relate to God at the temple. And so Jesus, he goes to answer these questions because they had forgotten who God is and what he's really like. Like many of us in this room, they assumed that God was this really prim and proper, uh, pious person in the sky who you could only approach through the appropriate religious prescription and that if you didn't approach him that way, then he was going to shun you. He's going to turn you away. He's going to leave you out in the cold and you're going to be all by yourself. That was their view, but they had forgotten who God was, who he is, what he's really like. In the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34, God says of himself, I myself will shepherd my sheep and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. But the fat and the strong, he says, and he's talking specifically to religious leaders who have gotten wealthy and healthy at the expense of everybody else, he says, I will destroy. I will feed them with justice. This is the heart of God. This passage speaks of God's care and concern for people. And part of Jesus' fulfillment of this was to be present to and to party with the sinners. The people who were thought to be too far gone, who couldn't be part of what God was doing. And so we come to this passage in Luke 15, and there's actually three parables in this passage. We're going to look in depth at the, at the last one. But the first one Jesus says is that, he says, God is like a shepherd, taken right out of that Ezekiel passage we just read. God is like a shepherd, and he's leading these sheep, and there's, say, a hundred of them, and he discovers one of them's missing. I've got 99 sheep here. Wait a minute. I'm going to go back and I'm going to leave these here in the wilderness and I'm going to go back and I'm going to find the one. Could you imagine a mother of 10 leaving nine of them in Walmart to go find one? Oh Lord, that makes me break out in a cold sweat. But that's what God does. He leaves the 99 to go after the one. And when he gets the one, he brings it back to the fold. He restores it to the rest of the sheep. And then he calls in his family and his friends and he says, let's party. I found the one that was lost. And then Jesus tells another parable. He says, this time God is like a woman who has 10 silver coins and she's lost one of them. And, and she goes frantic and she lights this lamp and stays up all night turning the entire house upside down so that she can find this one lost coin. And when she finds it, she goes to her family and friends and says, look, I found it. Let's party. Jesus says that's what God is like. He says that when when the lost come back, who he longs for, there's a party. He throws a party. That's the point of what Jesus is talking about. 
There is a party. The last parable is a little bit different. It's got all of the same elements, but there's a twist at the end that we need to pay attention to. Jesus says this time that God is like a rich landowner dad who's got two sons. And one day the younger of them came to his father and said, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. Now you've got to understand that when, he, he, when the younger son told his dad, give me my share, give me my inheritance, what he is actually doing is looking him in the eyes and saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I can't wait around long enough for you to kick off. I want what's mine. Give it to me now. And the dad does. He divides the property. And a few days later, it says, the sun goes off, which means that it wasn't that the dad went down to the bank and withdrew some cash and handed it to the son. He actually had to divide the physical family property between his two sons, okay? And, and this is family property that's handed down from generation to generation. It's supposed to stay in the family. And the younger son sells off his portion. He's turned his back on his dad. He's turned his back on his family. And he goes away. He spends what he earned or what he gets out of the property on his own pleasures. He gets into a stupor, loses all of his money. And after he loses all, all of his money, a, uh, a famine hits. And he's thinking, I got to do something about this, so I'm going to go feed me some pigs. He goes and hires out to feed pigs, eating worse than what the pigs eat, less than what the pigs eat. And after a time of this, Jesus says he comes to his senses and he says, what am I doing? The slaves in my dad's house are better off than this. I know I can't be his son. I know I turned my back on him and on the family. I know I can't be part of the family, but maybe I can be a slave so we pick it up in chapter 15, verse 20. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and now is found. And they began to celebrate. The son, technically and in every other, other than biologically, was no longer part of the family. He wasn't this guy's son. The dad did not have to recognize him this way in, in any way. But he does. He does what is unthinkable. First, he runs to him. He's, he's waiting eagerly for him, and he runs to him. In this society... Nobody in, who was a senior in this society ran anywhere. It was undignified. You don't do this. And yet this is exactly what this father does. He runs to the lost son. Second, he restores the son to full family membership. 
that whole, all of that stuff about the robe and the ring and the sandals, all of that, the importance of that is that he is making him part of the family again. He's saying, you're my son. You're my family. And that's what God's love is like. And this is the first point on your outline if you're taking notes this morning. God is a lovesick dad actively seeking the return of his wayward kids. He's actively seeking the return of his wayward kids. I had a great grandpa who was a cranky curmudgeon. He was not really fun to be around. And I don't, I don't have any memories of him, honestly, other than being afraid of him. It was as though I was a nuisance. He couldn't stand, he just wanted me to be there but not be heard, right? I remember him rolling his own cigarettes and getting on my case whenever he would, uh, whenever I'd do something he didn't like. But that is not the picture that Jesus is painting of God in this passage. Where dignified, in, in a culture where dignified people didn't run, the dad rushes out to meet his son. Despised, the son who despised the family, told the dad that he wished he was dead. And the truth is that God longs for the return of his children. And when they return, he throws a party. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen, how much you've messed up, God is for you. God loves us to the moon and back. He does. You can count on his love. It's important for us to understand his love so that we can live in it because God is a lovesick dad and he's actively seeking the return of his wayward kids. That's who God is. But that's not all. If we continue in the passage, Luke 15, picking up in verse 25, Jesus said, now his elder son was in the field. Here's where the twist comes. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called to one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He, the slave, replied, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's got him back safe and sound. Then he, the older brother, became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, returns, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Do you see how the, brother treated the, the older brother treated the dad? The, the scene here is that he's basically called the dad out in front of all of the guests. He's shaming his dad. What are you doing? How can you accept this guy back? Do you not realize what he has done? And it's really out of jealousy. He understands. 
If my little brother who just blew up half of the family fortune gets to come back and be part of the family, that means now he's going to get another share, only it's going to come out of mine. And so he gets mad at his dad. But here's the fact I want us to see, and this is point number two on your outline. God is, a love, is lovesick for those who think they aren't far from him. God is lovesick for those who think they're not far from him. One of the major themes that we have to see in this parable is the unquenchable love of God. It's there. We can't deny it. God rushing to greet those who are coming back, who have been far from him. But the second theme we have to look at and we cannot ignore is that this parable was told to a bunch of religious people. Religious people who were in the very position that the, young, the older brother was in. They were jealous. They didn't want to see these, these sinners come back. But the dad invites the son into the party, into his love. Now, the, dis- the disturbing thing about this is that we're left hanging. We have no idea what the result of the encounter between the dad and the older brother was. And Jesus did that on purpose because he's inviting all of us here to put ourselves into the story and to understand who are we? Where am I? Who am I here in this story and what Jesus is talking about? If you're like the older son, you need to know that God has an unquenchable love for you. You're with him and everything he has is yours. But it's up to you to join him in doing what he's doing. This is how we live in in this unquenchable love that God has for us. We join him in doing what he is doing. We celebrate with him. Don't remain outside the party because of jealousy at the overt action and generosity of God on the behalf of others that you maybe have thought you're better than. The fact is that whether you think you need God's love or not, he loves you anyway. Whether you think you're beyond God's love or not, God's love extends way beyond where you're at. The fact is that whether you've been burned by religion and and those who peddle it, God's love is for you. And regardless of how busy you've been with life or whether you have or haven't forgotten God's love, God has not forgotten you. Even if a mother would forget her infant, I will not forget you. First John says this, This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, meaning if anybody ties themselves to him in life, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. God loves us to the moon and back. You can count on his love 
We need to understand that love so we can live in it. God's call to us is to live in his unquenchable love, to accept it and then to turn around and give it out. I want to have the ushers come on up and we're going to get ready to give our, our offering this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your unquenchable, undying love. God, it is hard to imagine how, how a mom would possibly forget her, her, her infant. But Lord, you, you set yourself up and say that you will never, ever forget us. And I want to thank you for that. Lord, for anybody here in this room who is struggling, thinking that they've got to impress you or, or make you love them, Father, I pray that by your Spirit, you would help them to see just how much you really do love them. No matter what they've done, no matter where they're at. God, for the people here who maybe think that they don't need your love, I pray that you would open their eyes to see how much they do need you and to know and experience your love as you pour it out on them. If you're here this morning and um, you have not yet begun your life as a Christ follower, but you would like to, you want to get in on this love that God has, I'm going to say a prayer here and you just make it your own. Father, I'm tired of living life my way. I can't do it. I can't be good enough as much as I try. So come, please take me. I want to be your kid. I want to be your son. I want to be your daughter. Live in me, Jesus. Make me yours. If you said that prayer, there's a party right now for you. This is what gets heaven on its feet. This is what makes angels cheer and God shout. Father, for anyone who said that prayer this morning, I pray that you would just flood them with your love right now. That they would experience your peace, your grace, your mercy. That they would know that they are they are the child of, of your hand. That they are in your hand. That they are in your thought. And Spirit, I ask that you would fill them. Empower them to live as a child of God. Thank you for loving us, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Usually I'm the one to put my son to bed. That's just kind of a daddy Caleb thing that we do. And I still read him that book. 
and tell him I love you to the moon and back. And then I sing to him the song that we just sang. This last Tuesday night, I wasn't able to be with him because I was at a meeting. And so it fell to my wife to, to put him to bed. And she sang him that song, knowing that it, it's one that he's used to at night. He knows it's time to settle down and go to sleep. She kissed him goodnight, left the room, shut the door. And then she texted me later saying, our son is singing how he loves, how he loves. Make the love of God your song. Join him in doing what he is doing. And a practical next step for you right now is we've got the ministry fair going on. There's, there's booths around where you can get connected in service because that's what it means to join God in doing what he's doing. Part of how we do that is we serve other people. So I want to encourage you to do that. Check those out as you leave this morning. If you said that prayer this morning and became a Christ follower for the first time, we've got new believer packets that we'd like you to have. They're on the little tables by the doors at each of the exits. Uh, there's a New Testament in there and some other information to get you started on your walk with Jesus. If you want to take communion this morning, we've got communion on each side of the auditorium here. And if you need prayer, come this way. We're going to have a prayer team up front to pray with you. Thank you for being here this morning and let me encourage you, go, go in the love of God. We'll see you next week.